Chapter 4 Decision Fatigue Man who man would be must rule the empire of himself. In it must be supreme, establishing his throne on vanquished will, quelling the anarchy of hopes and fears, being himself alone. From Shelley's sonnet, Political Greatness. Before we get to the science of decisions, let's start with a political exercise. Suppose you are a married man who is the governor of a large state in the American Northeast. You've put in a long day at the office, and you're relaxing late in the afternoon by surfing the web. You happen upon, well, it's not exactly by happenstance, a site that describes itself as the most preferred international social introduction service for those accustomed to excellence. It is named the Emperor's Club VIP. Our goal, the club explains, is to make life more peaceful, balanced, beautiful, and meaningful. Toward these purposes, the club displays pictures of young women, many in transparent lingerie, each rated by a certain number of diamonds. Each woman happens to be available to spend time with you in return for an introduction fee. A decision must be made. Which of these options would bring the most balance to your life? A. Arrange to contemplate impressionist paintings at a museum in the company of Savannah, an artist by profession and creative beauty at heart, for $1,000 per hour to be paid in cash. B. Make a dinner date with Renee, an Italian-Greek fashion model who delights in Tuscan wines, black espresso, and the cool, fresh scent of men's perfume, for $1,500 per hour to be paid with an anonymous money order. C. Book an evening in a hotel room with Kristen, a 23-year-old who describes herself as having a lot of depth, a lot of layers, in addition to a tattoo in Latin for $1,000 per hour to be covered by a wire transfer from your personal bank account. D. Schedule an entire day with Maya, rated at seven diamonds, with her incomparable look and electrifying presence for $31,000 to be billed to your gubernatorial expense account under the heading of Personal Balance Consultant. E. Ask your chief political advisor which woman would be most suitable for you. F. Close the webpage, turn on the C-SPAN, and take a cold shower. Not a very tough call, is it? So why did Elliot Spitzer have such a tough time with it when he was the governor of New York? By choosing C, Kristen, he joined the long list of famously shrewd politicians and corporate executives who have destroyed their careers with an inexplicably dumb decision. Spitzer, who had targeted prostitution in his days as a prosecutor, not only arranged a hotel trip with Kristen, but even sent money to the Emperor's Club VIP with a traceable transfer from his own bank account. He knew the scrutiny he was under as governor. He had seen firsthand the risks and legal dangers of prostitution. In his long quest to become governor, he'd built a reputation for political savvy, firm discipline, and moral righteousness. Why, once he got his dream job, did he lose his bearings? Did power so warp his judgment that he felt invincible? Or was he a narcissist all along? Did he subconsciously want to sabotage his career? Deep down, did he feel unworthy? Or, after all the perks of power, 
did he simply feel entitled to whatever he wanted? Any of those answers might or might not be right, and we won't try to sort them out or psychoanalyze Spitzer. But we can suggest one other factor that certainly contributed to his downfall and to the mistakes that have wrecked the careers and families of so many other executives. When Spitzer hired a hooker, when the governor of South Carolina snuck off to Buenos Aires to see his girlfriend, when Bill Clinton took up with an intern, they were all subject to the occupational hazard that comes with being, as President George W. Bush once described himself, the decider. The problem of decision fatigue affects everything from the careers of CEOs to the prison sentences of felons appearing before weary judges. It influences the behavior of everyone, executive and non-executive, every day. Yet few people are even aware of it. When asked whether making decisions would deplete their willpower and make them vulnerable to temptation, most people say no. They don't realize that decision fatigue helps explain why ordinarily sensible people get angry at their colleagues and families, splurge on clothes, buy junk food at the supermarket, and can't resist the car dealer's offer to rust-proof their new sedan. This hazard was first identified at Baumeister's lab by Jean Twenge, a postdoctoral student who took up self-control research at the same time that she was planning her wedding. As she read up in the lab's previous experiments, like the one showing how self-control was depleted by the act of resisting chocolate chip cookies, she was reminded of a recent and quite draining personal experience, registering for wedding gifts, that odd tradition of enlisting a corporation to help with extorting gifts from family and friends. Although it's ordinarily considered rude for anyone beyond the Santa Claus years to demand specific gifts, Listing your wishes on a bridal registry has been rationalized as a social ritual that eases the stress on everyone. The guests don't have to bother shopping. The couple doesn't have to worry about ending up with 37 soup tureens and no ladles. But that doesn't mean it's stress-free, as Twenge discovered on the evening that she and her fiancé sat down with the store's wedding specialist to decide exactly what items to put on their registry. How ornate did they want their china to be? Which brand of knives? What kind of towels? Which color? Precisely how many threads per square inch of their sheets? By the end, Twangy told her colleagues in the lab, you could have talked me into anything. She thought the experience of having one's willpower depleted must be something like the way she felt that evening. She and the other psychologists wondered how to test that idea. They remembered that a nearby department store was going out of business and holding a clearance sale, which made plenty of products affordable on a laboratory budget. The researchers went shopping and filled their car trunks with simple products, not exactly posh wedding gifts, but sufficiently appealing to college students. For the first experiment, participants were shown a table loaded with these products. They were told they would get to keep one at the end of the experiment. Then, some of the students were told to make choices, which would supposedly determine which product they eventually received. They went through a series of choices, each time between two items. Would they prefer a pen or a candle? A vanilla-scented candle or an almond-scented candle? A candle or a t-shirt? A black t-shirt or a red t-shirt? Meanwhile, a control group, call them non-deciders, spent an equally long period of time contemplating all these same products without having to make any choices. 
They were asked just to rate their opinion of each product and report how often they had used such a product in the last six months. Afterward, everyone was given one of the classic tests of self-control, holding your hand in ice water for as long as you can. The water is uncomfortable and the impulse is to pull the hand out, so self-discipline is needed to keep the hand under water. It turned out that the deciders gave up significantly sooner than the non-deciders. Making all those choices had apparently sapped their willpower, and the effect showed up again in other decision-making exercises. In some experiments, students had to go through a college catalog and choose courses for themselves. In another experiment, designed to be immediately relevant to students enrolled in the psychology course, they had to make a series of choices about how they wanted their course to be taught for the remainder of the semester, which films to watch, how many quizzes to have. After making the choices, some students were given puzzles to solve. Some were told that they were about to take a math test that would be an important measure of their intelligence, and that they could improve their score if they spent 15 minutes practicing for it. But in addition to being given practice materials for the test, they were left in a room with magazines and handheld video games as tempting distractions. Again and again, the decision-making took a toll on the students. Compared with the non-deciders, who'd spent just as much time evaluating the same kind of information without making choices, the deciders gave up sooner on the puzzles. Instead of using their time to practice for the math test, they goofed off by reading magazines and playing video games. As the ultimate real-world test of their theory, researchers went into that great modern arena of decision-making, the mall. Shoppers in a suburban mall were interviewed about their experiences in the stores that day and then asked to solve some simple arithmetic problems. The researchers politely asked them to do as many as possible but said they could quit at any time. Sure enough, the shoppers, who'd already made the most decisions in the stores, gave up the quickest on the math problems. When you shop till you drop, your willpower drops too. On a practical level, the experiment demonstrated the perils of marathon shopping. On a theoretical level, the results of all these experiments raised a new question. What kinds of decisions deplete the most willpower? Which choices are the hardest? Crossing the Rubicon Psychologists distinguish two main types of mental processes, automatic and controlled. Automatic processes, like multiplying 4 times 7, can be done without exertion. If someone says 4 times 7, 28 probably pops into your head whether you want it to or not. That's why the process is called automatic. In contrast, computing 26 times 30 requires mental effort as you go through the steps of multiplying to come up with 780. Difficult mathematical calculations, like other logical reasoning, require willpower as you follow a set of systematic rules to get from one set of information to something new. You often go through steps like these in making a decision through a process that psychologists call the Rubicon model of action phases in honor of the river that separated Italy from the Roman province of Gaul. When Caesar reached it, he knew that a general returning to Rome was forbidden to bring his legions across the Rubicon. He realized that crossing it with his army would start a civil war. Waiting on the Gaul side of the river, he was in the pre-decisional phase, 
as he contemplated his goals and possibilities along with the potential costs and benefits. Then he stopped calculating and crossed the Rubicon, reaching the post-decisional phase, which Caesar defined much more felicitously, the die is cast. The whole process could deplete anyone's willpower, but which part is most fatiguing? Could the depletion be due mainly to all the calculations before the decision? By this point, Twenge and several other researchers had been depleted by this long-running project, but the reviewers who decided whether the work could be published in the field's top journal wanted more answers. Kathleen Voss, a veteran closer who knew how to bring embattled projects to final success, took over and masterminded the project through its final stages. She designed an experiment using the self-service sales site of Dell Computers. At Dell.com, shoppers could research and configure their own customized computer by choosing the size of the hard drive, the type of screen, and a series of other features. In the experiment, participants went through some of the same processes as Dell shoppers, except that nobody bought a computer at the end. By random assignment, each participant in the study was given one of three tasks. Some were told to look at several features relevant to a computer, but not make a decision. They were instructed to think about the options and prices and to form preferences and opinions, but not to make a definite selection. The purpose of this condition was to duplicate the pre-decision thinking without the actual deciding. Another group was handed a list of selections and told to configure the computer. They had to go through the laborious, step-by-step -step process of locating the specified features among the array of options and then clicking on the right ones. The purpose was to duplicate everything that happens in the post-decisional phase, when the choice is implemented. The third group had to choose which features they wanted on their customized computers. They didn't simply ponder options or implement others' choices. They had to cast the die, and that turned out to be the most fatiguing task of all. When self-control was measured afterward by asking people to solve as many anagrams as they could, the people who had actually made decisions gave up sooner than the others. Crossing the Rubicon appeared to be tough mental work, whether it involved deciding the fate of an empire or the size of a computer drive. But suppose the choice involved options easier and more appealing than starting a civil war or contemplating the innards of a computer. Suppose it involved a process that you found entertaining. Would those choices still deplete willpower? Researchers investigated by conducting another version of the bridal registry experiment, but this time the subjects included people with widely assorted attitudes toward the task. Some of the young men and women were much more enthusiastic than Jean Twenge at the prospect of choosing wedding gifts for themselves. They said they looked forward to making the choices, and afterward they reported that they enjoyed the experience. Meanwhile, other subjects in the same experiment utterly detested the whole process of picking china and silverware and appliances. As you might expect, the process wasn't as depleting for the ones who'd enjoyed it, but only up to a point. If the participants were given a short list of choices to be made in four minutes, then the ones who liked picking gifts could zip through without depleting any of their willpower, whereas the registry-dreading group was predictably depleted even by that short exercise. But when the list was longer and the process went on for 12 minutes, both groups were equally depleted, 
meaning that they exhibited less self-control on tests than did a control group that hadn't made any choices about wedding gifts. A few pleasant decisions are apparently not all that depleting, but in the long run, there seems to be no such thing as a free choice, at least when it comes to making it for yourself. Choosing for others, though, isn't always so difficult. While you may agonize over just the right furniture to put in your own living room, you probably wouldn't expend all that much energy if you were asked to make decorating decisions for a casual acquaintance. When researchers put a series of home decor questions to people and then tested their willpower afterward, the results showed that it was much less depleting to decide for a casual acquaintance than for oneself. Even though it might seem difficult to choose a sofa for an acquaintance whose taste you don't know, that difficulty is apparently offset by not caring a great deal about the outcome. After all, you won't have to look at the sofa every day. The other side of the Rubicon looks less scary when you know someone else is going to end up there.